excited. We are kicking off this brand new series today called Not a Fan. And I'm really, really, really excited about, could I get my mic turned on just a smidgen? That's a technical sound term. Um, so I'm really excited about what God has laid on my heart. We're going to be in this series, Not a Fan, for probably quite some time. And this series for us is going to be one that is going to challenge us to consider the call to follow Christ according to his word. This new series here is going to answer the questions for us of how do I move from being just a Sunday fan of Jesus to being an actual devoted follower Sunday through Saturday? What does that look like? How do I become the follower of Jesus Christ? Now, before we get too deep into this, I'll ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles. Turn your Bibles on. You're going to go with me to the book of 1 Kings. That would be in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, 1 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 18 uh, once we get there. But I have a question for you this morning. A question for you this morning. Now, my question to you is this. Now, please, uh, when I ask this question, do not answer out loud. This is a rhetorical question. Just think uh, to yourself. Um, don't nudge your spouse or your kid um, and ask them what their answer Just think to yourself, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ? The dictionary describes a fan as someone who is an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. The fan, according to Kyle Eidelman, the author of a book called Not a Fan, who is an author and, and a pastor, he says the fan wants to be close enough to Jesus to obtain the benefits, but not so close that it requires sacrifice. Now, Jesus, though, from Scripture, is not looking for fans. Jesus was and is looking for followers. Now, one of the reasons I ask that question of you about being a fan or a follower is because all throughout the Bible, you read account after account after account where people were put in a place where they had to decide God or self. You see it over and over and over and over, either God or self. We're going to see it here in this passage of Scripture this morning. Now, we sit here, and the concern that I have as a pastor is this, that we gather together in buildings, and there is a possibility, there is a large possibility that instead of being a community of followers— that we are nothing more than a building full of fans. That's, that's a scary thought when you linger there for just a moment, especially for me as a pastor, someone who dedicates their life to sharing God's word so that people would know absolute truth, so that they would have a way to spend eternity in heaven. So many people fill churches on Sundays and those that still do midweek services and they come in with crosses on their t-shirt or they come in wearing a cross on their necklace or on their, 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 uh, their wrists as a bracelet or they come in with crosses tattooed or verses tattooed on their body or on their clothing. But we don't truly bear the cross like God's word tells us. 
We come to church. Maybe we open up our mouth and sing during the, 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 the song aspect of the worship service. Maybe we open up our Bible. Maybe we take notes. And then we walk out of here to our car with our ichthus, our Jesus sticker, posted on the back, the Jesus fish. But then we drive away from this place and we don't even act like what we were just listening about while we were sitting here. We go home or we go to a restaurant and we sit down and as a family we hold hands and we, we say grace over our meals. But guess what? None of those things that I mentioned make you a follower of Jesus Christ. None of them. Not one. We are going to see today in the passage of Scripture that God's chosen people were challenged with the very same thought. Am I a fan or a follower? Am I a fan or a follower? So I'm, I, bear with me this morning as we, we have to read through a good chunk of 1 Kings. We're going to start, let's start in verse number 19 of chapter 18. So 1 Kings 18, verse 19. And it says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah. And all of these people ate at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two opinions? How long? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Remember that. They did not answer him a word. And it says, Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And it says that all the people answered, it is well spoken. Meaning they, they agreed, okay, we'll, we'll put our God Baal to the test and we'll, we'll test your God. So we agree on this. But then it says, then Elijah said, to the prophets of Baal, choose yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, meaning hours upon hours upon hours they were calling out to Baal. They said, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And it says that at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves. They, they stooped to self-harm after their custom was swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. 
And it says, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. And there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seeds. And he put the wood in order and he cut the bowl in pieces and he laid it on the wood and he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it looked up the water that was in the trench and when all the people saw it they fell on their faces and said the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and Elijah said to them seize the prophets of Baal let not one escape and they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there and this is God's word for us today let's pray God, we come to you right now, Lord, and we are asking of you to, to press upon us to turn our hearts back to you. God, we're in this place, and we need to see the truth in your word, what it means to be a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ, and not just the person who walks in this building and then walks out of it an hour from now living a completely different life. God, help us to place the idols in our life away. Help us to slaughter them, to sacrifice the idols in our hearts, and help us to turn to you, the one true God. Holy Spirit, you're invited into this place to move. Do a work only you can do. Sweep across this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I want us to look back real quick to the very first part. In verse 21, Elijah comes near to the people and he says, How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. When Elijah challenged them, they were silent. They were unspoken. They gave no answer. And guess what? That's what conviction does to you. It freezes our speech. We cannot talk when we are convicted. Why? Because it reveals the condition of our heart. And we do not want to incriminate ourselves. When we are confronted with truth, when we are confronted with the reality of our life, it's a moment that is sobering that should bring us to a place of deep reflection. The conviction. After all, 
that God had done for the Israelites. They were worshiping a false god named Baal. You want to know what the sad, sad thing is? That Baal worship was disgusting, absolutely heinous. It involved human sacrifice of children and infants. And it was sexually perverted. That's what it, the whole thing was about. Baal was a god that was half man and half goat. Absolutely disgusting the things that they would gather around this idol to do. It's not so bad, though, that it was just disgusting and perverted, but it was also pervasive meaning that it encapsulated everything that they knew about their way of life. It covered it. There was no way to get away from it, and the Israelites were bowing down to it. You see, they were not true followers of God here. The culture was completely dominated and called the shots for God's people. Does that sound familiar? The culture completely dominating, trying to call the shots for God's people? Do you know that Timothy tells us that in the end days, people will become lovers of pleasure and of self? Lovers of pleasure and of self. That's what's going on right here. And guess what? 5,000 5, years later, it's still going on in the exact same way. But God uses the obedience of just one man, of just one man, the obedience to challenge and change the course and culture of an entire nation. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning is a spiritual challenge was issued. A spiritual challenge. Elijah said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? How long will you do it? The, the, uh, the, the spiritual challenge, it came quickly and it was right to the point. The people were divided between two people. Between worshiping God and worshiping what they wanted, which was Baal. They were divided. And as we know from the New Testament, James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. It means the man who looks in two different directions. The man who doesn't focus on God. That's the unstable man. And unfortunately, many of God's people find themselves in that place today. That's unfortunate. They're stuck fighting between who are they really serving and obeying and following. But this, this phase here that comes from Elijah employs great insight to us as believers today. It says that there's a halt. They're, they're stuck between two opinions, meaning they're undecided. They keep jumping back and forth. Their opinions, and then their opinions, and then their opinions, and then their opinions. And they're stuck in this vicious cycle of just back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. And it does not stop. 
And when we are stuck, when we find ourselves in that place, it causes us to do mental and spiritual gymnastics. And we were not called to do, to do those things. Gold star students, write this down. And don't forget it. Many Christians today have one foot in the culture and the other one in church. Many Christians. Do you know that that term Christian is used flippantly in America? Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. They're a Christian. She's a Christian. He's a Christian. Do you know that the word Christian means to be a little Christ? It means little Christ. And people use the term to label themselves because they stepped foot in a church one time in 1987. Well, I have a Bible on my shelf, so I'm a Christian. I listened to that one Chris Tomlin song that was from, you know, 2000. And that was really good because it said Amazing Grace. I prayed this prayer one time in church, so I'm a Christian. I I even served one time in church, so I'm I'm a Christian. That's the mentality of the people. It's the mentality today. Today. For Christians, we, we just want enough of God to be good to go. To be good to go. I, I want to know that I'm going to live in eternity with him, but I don't really want to follow him on a daily basis. We dance around and we flirt with our culture. And guess what? If you have not realized, or if you had not read a news story recently, our culture devalues human life. It devalues human life when the creator places high value on the things that he made. Churches today openly embrace every kind of alternate lifestyle. Do you want to know what the scary thing about Baal worship was? Is that it still happens today and it happens in our culture. Every single year, there is a gathering just outside of Las Vegas where people come together to do the exact same exact things that they were doing in Israel. Every year, and it's, it's, it's played up by the media, and it's shown as an arts festival in music festival. But people literally strip off their clothes and they have orgies out in public and it is on national television. And yet we stand here in our churches and we say we're followers of God and we follow God's truth and yet we don't even know what the truth is that we follow. And that's sad, people. That's sad. It's that reason there why people go to hell. Because they follow every truth. They don't even know what the real truth is, so they just follow it because someone said it was truth. That's a fan of Jesus. That's not a follower. And before you sit in your seat, before you sit online and say, don't judge me, you should ask yourself, what does God's word say about what you do? 
I'm not the one you, you, I'm not standing before you trying to judge you. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm speaking God's truth. He will be the one that judges you, not I. But what does God's word say about what you do? What does it say? I believe Billy Graham himself hit it on the head when he said, if God does not judge America, he will have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to say it again. Billy Graham said, if God does not judge America, he will have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. Whether we know it or not, we are being spiritually challenged every single day. Every day. We make choices moment by moment. And those choices are a clear indication of who you follow. A clear indication. The difference here in the text was that this was a once and for all kind of challenge. Elijah was laying it all on the line here. And he's telling the people, I believe he's telling us today, if we claim to be following God, look at the reality of your choices. Look at the reality. Look at your life's track record. Are you stuck straddling the fence? Do I have one foot in church and one in culture? But look what happens. Look at verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets, Choose yourself one bull and prepare it. And for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, and put, and, and, but don't put fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. And they limped around the altar, and they made choice, and they, the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, so get louder, for he is a God. Maybe he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed upon them. And at midday, they raved until the time of the offering and the oblation, but there was no voice, and no one answered, and no one paid attention. The prophets of Baal, our culture, uses emotionalism to manipulate. It uses lies. It uses guilt and fear to keep people in check. That's exactly what was going on here. And that's exactly what happens every day in our culture. Emotionalism. But guess what? God's truth is the one that brings light and freedom and joy. And God's truth only. So I have a question for you this morning. And I just want to throw this out there. And What is your God going to do? What is your God going to do? These guys were calling out to their God. They were cutting themselves. They were literally jumping around and dancing around this very altar. Talk about lack of faith. Talk about a lack of faith right here. Listen, if I was asking God to rain down fire in this place, I would not be dancing around in the place that I was asking him to rain down the fire. 
But that's what they were doing. They were dancing around, and Elijah is just simply frustrating them, and he's like, well, what's your God doing? Is he going to the bathroom? <laughs> maybe he's asleep. <laughs> oh, oh maybe, maybe he just got caught up with something, or he's busy. You better cry louder. Just, just, just cry a little louder. It's fine. And, and before you are tempted to say, well, that's not very Christian to make fun of them, what Elijah did made the fact that it was going to fail all the more better in the eyes of the Israelites. They needed it. They needed to see that it was wrong. They needed to see that it was false. But nothing happens. They cry, they cut, nothing is accomplished. But now, now it's time for, for the God. It's time for the God. And Elijah moves from this spiritual challenge to a call. And he's calling you today to seek God. There's a call to seek God. Look back at verse number 30. Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of Israel, or the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as he would, as it would contain two seeds of seed. And they put wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And now the water ran around the altar, and it filled the trench with the water. Do you guys see what Elijah just did? Do, do you see? Don't miss it. It's probably one of the most important things and most significant things here in this passage. He repaired the altar first. He repaired the altar first. The altar is the sacred place. The altar is the special place. The altar was the place where, where people would meet with God. It was, it was the place here where people would make agreements with God. Commitments. I'm not talking about some spiritual business deal here. I'm committing my life to obey and follow you. That's what happened at the altar. The altar was also the, the, the place where people went for a changed life. Elijah repairs it. And he did so in a manner that reminded people who they were. Twelve stones. You came from Israel. You were God's chosen people. He reminded them. But then there was something that would occur. They, they cut up the bull and they placed it on the altar. Why? Because the altar was there for commitment and change, but it was also there for covering. It was there for covering. The blood had to be spilt. Had to. There was a need for the blood. An offering 
which is why we know God had to send his son into this world to live a sinless life, to die for our sins so that we would no longer have to sacrifice animals on an altar. Could you imagine how embarrassing that would be? You guys all coming in here on Sunday and you've got to bring your sacrifice animal through that back door? Serious. Some of you would come in with some turtle doves. I only got in one fight with my spouse this week. Some of you would come in with 15 rams. Another with a whole herd of bulls. Imagine. Imagine the seriousness of walking into this building on Sunday and having to bring me your animals and I had to slaughter them in front of you. Jesus came and he died for our sins so we would no longer have to do that. Which is why, 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 why we are told in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That's what our life is supposed to look like as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to be a living sacrifice. And the only way that you're able to do that is by renewing your mind, which is the very next verse. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why do you need to be transformed? So that you can know the perfect, acceptable, good will of God. That's what it means to be a follower. Right there. But there was an altar. The altar had to be made. To be transformed, to be a living sacrifice means that my life is submitted to God here and here and here and way over there and way over there. My life is submitted to God by the power of the Holy Spirit in me. That's the only way that I can be a living sacrifice. I can't do it in my own strength. God did not say submit to Josh's will. There has to be a start in your life where you lay down your old and you put on the new. When you put on the new. You know, churches, when I grew up, um, you knew it would be coming to the end of the service when you would hear the light, awful hums of an organ. And the song leader would come up onto the stage and we would open up our hymnal and we would sing, Just as I am without one plea, that that thou love was shed for me. 
and it would play just as I am. And the pastor would come onto the stage and there would be a call for people to seek the Lord. There would be a call for people to get out of their seats and come to the altar just as you are. The altar call was a time to respond to God. It was a time to reevaluate where you were at. It was a time to recommit to being a follower. It was a, it was a time to reconnect with God. Decisions would be made at the altar that would be life-changing decisions. I was talking with my mom this week, and I was sharing with her a little bit about this, and we were both reminded of a song, Not Just As I Am, but there was another song that I remember from my childhood, and the song went, That's What This Altar Is For. That that's what this altar is for. And it said that there was a father praying with his son. And a mother kneeled beside them thanking God they had come. And as the old song was played, there was a, there was a man standing here in tears who was giving up a part of him that he held back for years. The altar that's what this altar is for. The altar created by God, instituted by God to connect with people. And I have a very serious question for you, church. When was the last time you were at the altar? When was the last time you were at the altar? Church, this worship service is a great time to come to the altar. But Christian, you should have an altar that you go to frequently. You should have an altar that you go to frequently. One where you meet with God, where you worship Him and you tell Him, I love you. You can tell a lot about your relationship with, the, with, with God uh, when you look at the condition of your altar. You can tell a lot about your relationship with the Lord. Do you know the earliest African converts to Christianity lived in small villages? And they could not wait to rise in the morning and go out into the thicket just to get alone with God. They walked so frequently into the thicket that they wore paths. And every family had a path and they would go and that was their quote unquote altar. They met with God. Every day, 
like clockwork. They met. They were so earnest in their private devotion that a path was worn. And when a family would begin to get away from the Lord, it would become very recognizable because weeds would begin to grow in the path. And another brother or sister in that village would come along and say, hey, I I noticed you haven't been going to your altar today. And it would cause a rerouting, a shift for them to go back and recommit, to reconnect with God. They would return to the altar of grace. There would be a returning. You want to know what the result is of going to the altar? Communication with God. Simplistic. It's communication with God. And when you begin to see God work after you have submitted and yielded your life to Him, something happens. Something happens. Which is the next thing I want us to see is that crying out leads to seeing God work. Crying out leads to seeing God work. Look at verse 36 with me. It says, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Elijah, as he has done so many times, found himself again praying to God. He went to the Lord. And I am convinced in my life, I am convinced that until we pray more than we complain, and until we pray more than we criticize, and until we, we pray more than we are judging the people around us, the more we pray over worry, the more we pray over trying to figure every single little thing out, not much is going to be accomplished until we pray more. And I'm talking about a prayer that makes sense. A prayer that, I'm not talking about waking up in the morning, God bless this day, and then you roll out of bed and you're on your way. I'm talking about a prayer that makes sense. A prayer that lines up with Scripture. Do you know all throughout Scripture, when the people prayed, they spoke God's words back to him? Not that God didn't know them, but they were saying out loud, God, I know that your word is true, which is why they prayed it. Elijah's prayer here is an example for us as believers. There were three basic elements, and these three elements will lead to revival in your life. They will lead to revival. The first 
He prayed for God's name to be proclaimed. He said that the people would know that you are God. He wanted God's glory, his, his person, his presence to be proclaimed once again. He wanted his name to be great for the people. The next thing he shows us in the prayer is that he prayed for continued personal obedience. Personal obedience. He wanted people to know that what he was doing was not by his own doing, but by God's. Elijah did not want the people to think that it was all him. He wanted them to see what God was doing. He said it was at your word when he prayed to God. And that's the same thing that happened to him when he was at the brook. He said it was at your word, Lord. He said it was at your word, Lord, when he went to the widow woman who was about to die, who had nothing. It was the same at your word here in the text, and it was the same. It was at your word, Lord, when he went to Obadiah just a little bit later. At your word. At your word. Elijah knew that everything was riding on his personal obedience and that a whole nation could come to know God just by following just by following. And then he prayed for the people to come back. He prayed for the people to come back. Do you know that revival happens when people turn to God? That's when revival happens. When God's people repent and when they commit or recommit themselves to him, it means that they are made alive. Revival. Real revival comes only through prayer. Only through prayer. And then there's a life-changing moment that occurs, which is what I want us to see next, is that there was a sudden life-changing moment. A sudden life-changing moment. Look at verse 38 with me. And he says, And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, what did they do? They fell on their face and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. One word, consumed. Consumed. The fire consumed everything. The wood the stones, the water, every single thing was consumed. And what was the reaction of the people but to fall down in the presence of God? They fell and they proclaimed the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Suddenly the people are consumed by the very glory of God which caused them to fall down and they began to desire to worship him which is why they called out his name. They were on fire. There was a small church, um, a very, very small church and they had a new pastor come in and um, he was there for several years and he, he spent all of this time trying to convince the neighbor 
to come to their church service. And that neighbor had lived next door to that church for almost 40 years. And every pastor that came into that church asked that neighbor to come, and he never showed. He would never come. And one day, in the middle of a church service, lightning struck the building, and it went up in flames. And as the church is rushing to get out, the pastor sees the neighbor for the very first time. And after everybody is out of the building, he goes to that neighbor and he said, you were in church today. I have tried for so long. How come you've never come? And he said, well, this was the first time the church was on fire. This is the first time the church was on fire. And I wonder, I wonder if that's what Ionia says about the well. Is this a church that's on fire because they follow a heart after God? We don't have to be a a church with the coolest lights and the smoke machines and every single seat filled in here, but are we a church that is on fire for God that follows hard after him? You ever talk to somebody who tells you about something that they truly and deeply love? There's this fire and intensity about the things that they say. Several years ago, um, a coffee drinkers, any coffee drinker in the house? Yeah, these are the holy people. So several years ago, um, a buddy of mine... Um, he sent over this video to me, and he's like, dude, you got to check this out. This is the coolest new gadget that's coming out. And, and he's like, you're going to want one. This is so awesome. So I watched this video. And um, at first, I was like, this is going to be really stupid. I don't even care. It didn't even, the video did not even tell what the, what the product was. Right? Have you ever watched those really bad infomercials on TV? It's like, try the new amazing pillow. Right? No. So he sends me this video, and I'm like so annoyed. And I'm like, start watching this thing. And the guy goes on there, and he's like, are you a coffee lover? And I was like, I am. So I was already intrigued. And then he's like, he's like, try the new Ember coffee mug. And I was like, what? And this amazing metallic coffee mug just kind of shimmers across the screen. And I was like, oh, I'm already sold. I don't even care what it does. I'm already sold. Well, come to find out that this coffee mug would keep a cup of coffee warm for an entire day, and you could control the temperature of the coffee mug from your cell phone. I was like, oh, I need this. My birthday is coming up. And so I did all of the research I read all of it. It had already come out in Europe. It was coming to America. I read all the pros, all the cons. Like, there were so many good things that were talked about. I was so excited. 
I looked at the app. I studied the app. Like, I, there was, like this thing was going to be amazing. And so I went to Brie. And I was like, babe, my birthday's coming up. And she's like, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, this really cool ember mug. And she's like, what's so special about it? So I started telling her, and I was like, it does this, and it does this, and my face would just glow every single time I would talk about the ember mug. And then she saw the price. She like, nah. <laughs> I still never got my ember mug. But there was a three-week period leading up to my birthday that all I did was talk about the ember mug. I knew every single thing about it. I'd never even used it, and I could tell you how cool it was. I could tell you that it would contour in my hand as you were lifting it to your lips, and that that coffee would stay hot all day long. Ain't nobody want to reheat coffee. That's just gross. But this coffee mug was legit. I was on fire for the ember mug. You're supposed to laugh. That was a... Ember, you know, fire, whatever. It did. There's a fire and intensity in our life when we speak about the things that we love. So I have a, I have a question as we begin to close here. Do you have that intensity when you speak about God? Do you have that fire? Do you have that glow about you when you speak about your Savior? The one who lifted you out of the muck in the mud? Do you have that glow, that intensity? When you rise, when you walk, when you sit at your table, when you teach your kids, Deuteronomy 6 tells us that we are to have the word of the Lord upon our lips at all times. And I think that's what it meant here for them to fall down and to say, you, Lord, he, he is God, the one the one God, they were on fire. When we obey God, we follow God. And when we follow God, revival occurs. Revival occurs. And in order to be followers of God, we must be on fire for God, which means that we must be consumed with God. But there's one last thing that we need to see here in this passage. One decision that was made. And it was the radical sacrifice that occurs at the end. The radical sacrifice. And it says that Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. And they seized them and they brought them down to the brook Kishon. And it says they slaughtered them there. They slaughtered them. There was an immediate response from the people to remove the disgusting nature that was around them. There was an immediate response to get away from the bad influences in their life, and he said to slaughter them. 
It was a sacrifice, and it had to be radical. It had to happen now. Not a week from now, not a month from now, not six months from now. There was a young lady who was in our youth ministry several years ago, and she came to me one night after church, and she was like, I want to get saved, but not right now. It's my senior year, and I want to have fun. That young lady died 30 days later. And to this day, I don't know if she is in heaven or hell because she never said, you do not have to wait. God is calling every single person in this room, every person online, every person in the balcony to make a decision today. Recommit your life if you're a believer and you've gotten away from him. Reconnect with God if you haven't had the time or you haven't made the time to do so. Maybe you're in this room and you're not a believer. Maybe now is the time for you to say, I'm, I'm done living for me and I want to surrender my life because it will be the greatest decision you will ever make. But every single person has a decision to make. in this room, online. There was a challenge, spiritually. There's a call for us to seek the Lord, a call. And there's a response, a radical sacrifice. Every person in this room has something to sacrifice. So I'm going to challenge you this morning to get out of your seat. I'm going to challenge you to come to the altar. I'm going to challenge you to connect with God I'm going to challenge you to cry out for God. Right now in this place, you don't have to wait. That's what this altar is for. Could we get a little bit of, of light music in the background, like very, very light? Who's going to be first? Who's going to get out of their seat? Who's going to come down here and, and connect with God? Who's going to do it? God's calling you right now to seek him. God's calling you to reconnect. <laughs> <laughs>